This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. I'd like to welcome Nina Stoyalkovich to Knowledge at Wharton. She's a vice president for Asia and Pacific at the International Finance Corporation, which is a sister agency of the World Bank that secures low-cost financing for infrastructure, housing, and other projects in low-income countries. Thanks for joining us today, Nina. It's great to have you back. Thank you, Steve. Uh, This is a new position for you since we last spoke with you. Um, Tell me what some of your plans are, some of of the high-level ideas that that your uh, agency in Asia-Pacific is looking at. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thank you again, Steve. Um, It's a great pleasure to be here again. And um, as you pointed out, uh, last year I was working on some global initiatives, in particular on some new instruments that can de-risk private sector investments in emerging markets. Because my institution, uh, this part of the World Bank uh, group that we call uh, International Finance Corporation, uh, finances solely uh, private sector in emerging markets. And now, uh, since January, I've assumed a new role um, as a regional vice president for Asian Pacific, where we have 60% of the world's po- uh, population. And and where poverty is still um, a big issue. And I'm quite excited to be in a position to lead uh, on a number of development uh, challenges uh, by applying uh, the knowledge that I gained in some of the previous global positions, as well as uh, the knowledge on on these new innovative financial instruments. So I think the IFC is taking some new tacks in in its approach, which which are very interesting. And you call it maximizing finance for development, which you know, is, is a little bit abstract. Can you tell us what that really means on the ground? Yes, absolutely. I think what, what we saw in development is that public sector um, institutions, they finance public sector. Uh, private sector institutions try to fi- finance private. Um, foundations are offering a lot of grants, but we didn't see how that connects into an overall uh, picture. And we, we realized that the only way to deliver on uh, sustainable development goals where four to five trillion dollars is needed every year, in particular in emerging markets, we realize that that connecting that um, has to happen through what we call cascade. That's a simplified way uh, of talking about maximizing finance for development. What it really means is that whenever you can finance something through private sector, do not resort to public sector, especially grants, because these are precious uh, sources of financing that should be used only where private sector cannot uh, do it. And um, we call that approach Cascade internally within the World Bank Group. We have tried to promote it uh, through World Economic Forum with other uh, multilateral development banks. Um, In reality, it means that the only way how we will be able uh, to uh, put trillions of dollars into development by 20 30 to deliver on SDGs, uh, we will have to create conditions for private sector uh, to, to provide financing that's needed. And this also means that we are through de-risking and policy and sector reforms that public sector institutions can do when we connect it all with the same goal. We think that we can bring a lot of trillions that sit in institutional uh, investment companies uh, to bring them to emerging markets to finance some of those uh, much needed projects. Could you offer an example of the kind of project that may have done, been done in the past that, uh, based on what you're saying, may have competed with the private sector a little bit, and how the projects that you're working on now don't compete but maybe try to work together with mm-hmm. through various financial instruments. 
there are many examples, but the one that's most favorite um, uh, to me is the one that got it all started within the World Bank Group, where when we started talking about the cascade, uh, this is the project of the Jordan uh, Airport, when the King of, jo of Jordan had a plan to build a new airport uh, for the country. And um, the initial idea was to do it uh, solely through public uh, sources for the government actually to put its funding uh, into, into the project. And um, one of the colleagues from the World Bank realized that it would be better to build a private uh, airport, which could actually generate revenues uh, for the government and um, offered that um, project to YFC, the private sector arm of the World Bank Group. And as a result, um, we ended up with a PPP uh, project. That's, which is uh, a PPP? Is uh, that a public-private okay, uh, so. partnership project mm -hmm. where obviously the government had its own role and this was done on a concessional basis uh, for a French operator mm -hmm. to build and operate the airport, which is now one of the most successful air airports in the world and probably one of the most beautiful ones. So we saved quite a lot of uh, government uh, resources by bringing a private, capable private sector operator uh, to build and, and operate that airport. So um, we didn't uh, follow uh, the public sector route. And there are many cases, uh, especially in the solar energy and climate change projects right now, where um, uh, we don't resort to, to public financing of solar projects in Africa. But we found a way for the public uh, side to provide regulatory and um uh, policy advice to the government uh, for institutions like IFC to structure uh, the bidding uh, process, to structure contracts uh, for private operators to come in. Uh, and then we found a way to de-risk some of those projects by some blended finance Yeah, And when you say de-risk, if you could just explain exactly what, what you mean by that. Sure. I mean, uh, very often risks uh, in countries where we operate are um, obviously political risks because some of the countries are fragile and conflict-affected. Um, sometimes they are uh, uh, the risks are related to being the first of its kind mm -hmm. in a country when you are uh, trying to finance or develop a first solar project mm -hmm. which nobody else has done it. Sometimes risks are related to, to technology which is uh, the case in many of the climate change uh, related uh, projects and and for all of that uh, you have to have some instruments that would reduce the risk for a private sector uh, company to invest and this is where institutions like IFC come into the picture because we have a range of those financing instruments in addition to regular commercial debt and equity financing we can also provide some uh, I, I would call it subsidized uh, loans or, or, or subsidized instruments to reduce Use the overall uh, risk profile of the transaction and allow for a private sector company to actually make some returns as it invests in that particular project. And we have done many of the first of its kind solar. Uh, power projects across Africa and beyond in South Asia as well, where, where I work now, uh, through those instruments and quite successfully resulted in a private sector um, operation instead of funding it through government sources. So, uh, so uh, you're talking about sweeteners and incentives. And in the past, um, I think that maybe the IFC would help to float bonds, for example. Is that correct? And then uh, because it was such a big organization that floated so many, so many dollars in bonds they were, and, and, and had government backing, they were able to secure much lower rates, and then you could help the private sector with that. But what you're saying is going beyond that, right? That's yes. kind of the way it used to work. That's like the old way. And you're saying now there's, e there's even newer ways to uh, – newer twists on that kind of an idea. 
Can you is, is that is that basically the idea yes, here? Yes, Steve, absolutely great point. Um, a traditional approach uh, by institutions like IFC, but also other financiers, investment funds, and commercial banks was to wait for projects to be ready for financing. Yes, they're in emerging markets, there are certain risks, but we would come and, and look at the existing projects. I think the new idea is to create a market that doesn't exist, to, to develop conditions for the first of its kind, privately uh, operated solar power projects or hydros or um, new fintech instruments or um, uh, new way of, of digitally um, digital education or, or, or healthcare, uh, you name it, to develop markets uh, for that particular sector to open up to private participation. And this is where IFC is now putting a lot of its own thinking and, and um, the approach will work if we connect all the players in development together so that there is a role for the World Bank, there is a role for IFC, there is a role for nonprofit organizations, and of course there is a role for commercial investors, including institutional investors who, as I said, we need to bring into those projects. So well, you, you mentioned solar. I think you did a project in India. Was it India where you yes. did a big solar? Can you talk about that? who the players were, where the money came from. Yes. Uh, the, the, the example that I, I, I wanted to mention is the Reva Solar, uh, R-E-W-E, uh, solar uh, power project, which is bringing, uh, I believe, 800 megawatts of, of energy, solar energy, in that particular state in, in India, where the World Bank uh, provided advice on resettlement of people around that, that project, and the IFC structured the deal and provided financing uh, uh, for the deal. But we worked in sync because one without another, just the advice on resettlement without private uh, financing would not have uh, worked. Uh, but uh, that and several other solar projects that we did in India, actually are about 15% of India's uh, solar capacity at this point. And now that there is a demonstration effect of how you can make this happen through private financing, there are many more solar projects in India that are being financed through commercial uh, sources. I think I, I read that the that I don't know if it's that solar project or the combination of all the projects you're doing are powering something like 80,000 houses. Is yes, that right? Yes. Uh, and, and as I said, the 15% of the installed capacity in India mm -hmm. comes from the projects that, that we financed, uh, solar projects that we financed. Obviously incredibly important for a country that doesn't have fossil fuel resources. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but there are many other examples. Give so. us another one because I think this is where, <laughs> you know, this is where all the finance talk actually, you know, comes down to on the ground helping people. Um, I, I wanted to maybe mention something in the technology space. Uh, I, I just came back from Bangladesh, which is, as you know, a populous country with 160, 170 million people living on a very small uh, land. And I think inclusion uh, of those people in economy, into jobs, in providing services to those people, it's essential part of our development mandate. And it was very interesting that the financing and money transfers, and there, there are a lot of remittances there as well, Everything was uh, through a regular banking system. There are about 50 banks in the country, and uh, th that banking sector is very, very fragmented. Some of the banks are also state-owned and not very efficient and have non-performing loans. So we have a client of IFC who, who is the first mover in the digital uh, transfers of money and digital payments, and uh, the company's name is Bcash, and IFC invested equity uh, in this client, who has very quickly reached to $30 million 
million people uh, for for access to finance, and now they are transferring um, um, uh, money to their poor families in rural Bangladesh. Uh, they're using their their fintech basically to to pay for services. Uh, it's an incredible transformational market that that has been created. And the interesting thing for me is, me is that this company has reached the, now the size and scale that it cannot be regulated as a bank or as a microfinance institution because it is not a microfinance institution and it is not a bank. So now we need to help the government of Bangladesh to regulate uh, this fintech space, which they obviously were did not know that that would happen and, and, and grow uh, at such a pace. So a classic example of market creation and, and tremendous story on, on financial inclusion in a country that very much needed it. Essentially, I think people sometimes underestimate the value of banking in, in these areas that absolutely don't have it. And, and once it's available and this makes it affordable, then it has this big effect on growing businesses and, and so forth. And it, it's kind of a, right, it's kind of a snowballing effect, which is uh, obviously why you're doing it. But ha- so you've seen that there? I, that? I've seen it there and in many other countries. And you're absolutely right, Steve, because uh, putting branches uh, in, in rural areas of Bangladesh or any other country, I mean, it's very difficult yeah. and expensive. And I think what technology is allowing us now to, to do mm-hmm. is to connect people and give them that access simply by having a mobile phone. Right. So like in so many ways, it's just leapfrogging the old ways absolutely. of doing it. And not going through all the stages, just going right to the, the, the most efficient way to do it. Exactly. The other thing I noticed um, in looking at, at uh, your website and so forth is how much you do with climate change mitigation, something like 25%, yes. which, was, which really caught my eye because I, I had no idea. So obviously I would guess the India Solar Project would fall into yes. that category. But it sounds like there's so much more going on. What's going on in Asia in this area? Yes. Um, Asia in particular is interesting from a climate change perspective because uh, it is also a region where many people live uh, around the coast. And it's also very fragile in terms of um, being prone to climate change effects, whether it's storms or tsunamis. And so Asia, at, at the same time, Asia is innovating. You have a lot of innovation uh, around production of solar uh, power equipment and other technological advancements. Batteries are the key, obviously, to solar technology, especially in China. So you have these two things going going for, for Asia, and Asia in particular is um, a good reason why IFC is actually driving its climate business from what it used to be like around 10% to now close to one-third of our overall business, which is about $18 billion of financing every year, is is climate. And, and for us, climate change is um, a lot of uh, mitigation which is obviously renewable renewable energy or so mitigation uh, means for example, the solar project. Exactly, mm-hmm. or, or, or even hydros, right? Mm-hmm. It's renewable energy, uh, but we also see a lot of opportunities through green buildings. Um, wherever we are building, and there are a lot of cities and um, buildings that are being built in Asia right now, if you can build them, build them green. So that's one thing that we are helping our clients advise them on how to build green. Uh, we see a lot of opportunities through green bonds so that we create actually capital markets, uh, local solutions for green financing, and we see opportunities in agribusiness, which is more adaptation, adapting to climate change uh, impact by proper uh, technologies, again, that, that protect your crops and, and, and produce uh, from the effects of climate change. So this would be the, like the four key areas where we see a lot of opportunities in climate change. And one area where IFC has always uh, done very well would, is the one where we go through local banks, 
to teach them how to finance climate smart projects. We provide a lot of building capacity and advisory services to them. And then we finance what we call um, green energy efficiency lines, we, credit lines we provide to them so that they can own lend to their, their SME clients, small and medium businesses. So what's important for our readers and listeners to know that we haven't talked about here today about what, what your plans are for Asia Pacific under the IFC? Um, what I would like the readers to or listeners to, to remember is that uh, there is still so much more to be done in development, uh, that uh, we have finally reached a point where poverty in the world is below 10% after so many years. But if we are serious about sustainable development goals, uh, we have to go through to less than 3%, and there is so much more to be done um, uh, in, in many, many uh, areas. But when I think of Asia, I think about sustainable cities, urbanization, I think about um, agriculture and uh, linking uh, what happens in, in rural areas, providing food uh, to, to, to growing urban population. I think about a lot of young people uh, that need to be included in, in economy, so providing jobs for those people and having skills for those jobs. And of course, I think about doing all of that uh, in a sustainable way and hopefully using more and more technological uh, development to, to speed uh, up the, 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 the growth, basically. That's what I think about. And then I also think about private sector principle first, whatever can be done on a commercial basis and through private sector. Let us do that. Let us leave um, government resources that are very precious for only those things that private sector cannot do. And last point maybe is nobody can do it alone. Um, we need a partnership uh, from nonprofit organizations to uh, public sector financiers, uh, private sector uh, financiers, uh, commercial banks, uh, private equity funds, institutional investors to make it all happen. Thank you very much for coming in today. Thank you. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.